Hello, welcome to Beyond Parenting. My name is Beth Hardy and I'm here to talk to you about parenting, what it means to you and different ways of looking at it. You may have broken free of the chains of the cycles that have been passed on to you from your family of origin, but are you stepping in the direction which is supportive of where you want to be? So we examine all things from things to do with partners, teenagers, younger kids, blowing your top, self-care and more. I hope you enjoy today's podcast. Here we go. Welcome to today's Beyond Parenting. I hope you have a wonderful time listening to the incredible Ree Pearson who talks about her journey through parenthood, through being a single mum to three kids and her life as a police officer and beyond, as well as her work now supporting um, people and particularly teenagers identifying red flag behaviour and how we as parents can do the same. So it's a really interesting listen today, but I want you to be aware we do swear in it. There is talk about domestic violence and also mental health issues, drug use and um, much more besides. But I hope you enjoy it. It is quite good fun. We have a real good meander about of a conversation and um, yeah, enjoy. Hello, Ree. How are you today? Thank you for I'm, joining us. I'm very, very, very good. Thank you. It is beautiful. I'm a bit hot, actually. Are you? It, it's very warm in, in North Tyneside today. It's kind of close, um, but I like that. I like the heat. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, when I grow up, I'm going to live somewhere hot. <laughs> hotter, hotter. Hotter. Yeah, so well, really good, yeah. I'm wearing my jumper because even though it's warm, my house is actually freezing. I, it's quite good for summer, but in winter... Mm-mm, not so good <laughs> yeah yeah I've got big windows so when the oh, yeah. sun the sun comes in and it heats this room up and it's like oh a bit a bit hot but so t- today we I was hoping we could talk about your journey through parenting because on beyond parenting we talk about people's journey kind of outside of mainstream and so I was hoping you could fill us in a little bit about your journey and um yeah t- tell us Tell us how it all, all went down. Oh, wow. Well, um, I have three children. Two of them are grown up now. They're in their 20s. And I still have a teenager. So I've actually been parenting a child, technically, for 28 years. And I still technically have a child because he's 17. Um, and I was thinking about that the other day. And I was thinking, no, God, God no wonder you're tired. <laughs> <laughs> Most people kind of keep them together, don't they? But what I did was I was married. And we split up when my daughter was seven. My son was about eight and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got into a relationship with somebody else a few years later and, and had another baby. So mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a nine-year gap between my middle child and my youngest child. Right. And she's kind of like a little mini mummy to him. Oh. You know what I mean? Like, they're very, they all get on really well. And um, so I had that, I had, so I was... I was a single mum of two and then I was a single mum of three because I didn't get into a long-term relationship with the father of my youngest child. It was one of those um, 
moments of, well, I guess I was probably vulnerable really, but um, it was an accident. He knows he was an accident. <laughs> so I'm very open with my kids and I tell them, I mean, my daughter was only born because I had a spliff to celebrate my son's birthday. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, things happened and then I got pregnant and there's only 21 months between them and I blame cannabis and the okay. world. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. That's not. I can say that now because I'm not a cop anymore. <laughs> oh, so that. So you're letting people in there. So you are a cop. Oh yeah, I or used was. to be. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I've retired. So I was a. I was a mum of single mum of three, and uh, working full time as a police officer. Okay. And when I look back at that, especially when they were small, my my childcare bill was more than my mortgage. Yeah. Which I can is imagine, insane, isn't it? Because I mean, they had after school stuff, and the little one was, I mean, it's only 12 weeks old when I went back to work because I had to go back to work. I didn't have nobody else to pay the bills. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I yeah. had to, so when he was 12 weeks old, I had to hand him over to a lovely lady who I still have contact with and we still go for coffee. Um, his childminder and and that was probably one of the most difficult things I've had to do as a parent actually give my kid to somebody while I went to work all day I know what you mean I remember when um, my my eldest was um, six months and I was due to start work again and I was working in a nursery with babies right and I was having to give my my baby over to someone else and it seemed insane and in actual fact because of that dichotomy I didn't do it yeah but maybe if I'd have been in a different career I might have done it but yeah. it just felt wrong like how yeah and, I was, and somebody else told me that similar story actually the other week and she she had to go she was supposed to go back to work but she said it's crazy I have to give my child to somebody else so I can look after other people's children mm. and I think a lot of um ladies who go into childminding maybe that's comes off yeah. the back of that I, I tell you now though I think you're brave for working in a nursery oh, how they're, they're like little tiny I terrorists aren't I, don't, I know I don't I don't do it anymore <laughs> I, did it for sure. I couldn't I, I'm really scared of them like I remember when <laughs> when the kids were little you know like in reception in year one in school and they would say oh mommy um can you can you come in and help well, I was working, was working full time. So I used to, you know, usually I would very rarely get a weekend off, but I would get a Monday off quite often. So I'd go into school on a Monday and bearing in mind, I'd probably have been doing the things that police officers do on a weekend. And then I would go into a little school, a first school and help with reception children. And I would, the teacher would put me on a table with six little creatures and you'd have to <laughs> and I, honest to God, I would be I'd have butterflies I'd be so scared in case I said something wrong like the worst thing for me is because I would have spent the whole weekend doing the whole full-on police thing fighting with men and, and like sweary stuff and you know just the the general weekend normal for police officers but not normal for everybody else and then I would be in a complete change of atmosphere with these tiny people and thinking you must not swear. You must not swear. Because the worst thing it could be is like if this child goes home and tells their parents that Ellie's mummy said bad words. <laughs> and it was like, it's, I, I used to find that really, really stressful. Also, in case I did something that was like completely inappropriate or wrong, because I'm not, I'm not trained to, like, you, you don't yeah. train to be a parent, but you, no, you train but you, a long time to be a teacher, don't you? Yeah, you have to put a filter on. I, I remember having the filter 
um, and it did stay on. And I remember keeping it on actually for quite some time when I had my youngest, but then not long enough because um, one of my, <laughs> that same child who I stayed at home for in the end, um, the, her first um, sentence was for fuck's sake. Sorry. <laughs> and she said it over and over and over again, <laughs> like it was just stabbing me in my heart. <laughs> Do you know what? I think that's excellent. <laughs> And it would totally come from me as well, because I used to say it to my ex-husband all the time. I think that's a great first line. That's, you know, that's brilliant. It's a great story. I love it. You know, you just have to go with the flow, don't you? I mean, I'm very open with my kids. It's one of the things that I talk about in the work that I do now is parents who are embarrassed to talk to their kids about certain things. And honestly, I can honestly say that I am not embarrassed and my children are not embarrassed and they will come home and they will swear and they will come in and say, and help somebody at work today or whatever, or I'm having sick of this or whatever. And they just say it. They, they, and I'm not going to tell them off for saying it because it's an expression just because it's classed as a, a bad word doesn't mean it actually is. And who said it was in the first place, you know? Like things are bad, bad words for me include things like we're going to stop your benefits now or no, you can't afford that. And no, you can't afford to feed your children and you you'll have to go to a food bank. They are bad words. Yeah, I feel feel you there. No, I feel you there. It's it's important. It's really important to say these things because we we fill our kids with all these ridiculous taboos that they're not allowed to say like my youngest is what he's just turned six and he knows some swear words and stuff and he says them I mean he's got teenagers for siblings so you know yeah that's that's the the difference like so yeah they do that the the older children kind of I mean my youngest is I mean he's 17 but when you talk yeah. to him, you think he was 25. Yeah. Because his siblings are in their 20s. Yeah. And he's been brought up that. And he really struggles um, to have, when he was at school, he struggles to have friends his own age group because they get on his nerves. Because they're, because they're, they're 17 year old. Yeah, exactly. He's really, he's 25. Yeah. It's like something that you have to think about because his peer group now he has he's a he's a football fanatic. Just ask him anything about football, he knows everything. It's like weird, right? Um, But he has a peer group of football fans who are aged between sixteen and thirty-five, and there's a group of them, and they travel and follow their team around the country, and they meet up and they travel. So his peer group's actually up to the age of 35. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's comfortable with. He's and it's okay, isn't it? When, when they're, they're allowed to be okay with it. And it's oh, just right. when it's quashed. Like, so I, I just have to sort of do caveats with my youngest and say, like, it's fine for you to say that, but please don't start saying that at school in front of your teacher yeah, because you're going to get in some trouble. Like, if you don't yeah. want to get in trouble, don't say that stuff. Yeah, yeah. but, but like, you have to have that conversation, don't you? You have yeah. to say these things are acceptable here but not acceptable in other in other situations and other parents don't like their kids Mm. to swear and you have to respect that as well Mm. when you come into my home my domain domain Mm. you just have to take it as it comes like because sometimes you know but I think you kind of surround yourself with the people who you 
who you're going to be with you know mm. there's that saying isn't it you you surround yourself with the five people who are most like you so yeah. look at the people who you're hanging out with and and do you actually want to be with that that person yeah and does that person want to be with you is more important probably mm. and that's that's what I say to the kids you know be careful who you're hanging out with don't make friends with people who you don't want to be like that's so that important big, that was a big thing actually for my eldest he he when he was about 14 and we were out for tea one night and my son was out with his friends and he rang and he said I'm, I'm on my way back and I said all right we'll, we'll pop in where we were we're in a local pub we'll drive home together and he came to the pub and and he was off his face on something it wasn't alcohol mm-hmm. but he was off his face on something and that for me was like son who are you hanging out with like who are the people who you're hanging out with because these are the losers in life you know be high on life you don't need to mm. take drugs to have a fantastic time and we had that conversation and do you know what he never did it again he's not he he just doesn't they they're like drugs are for losers do mm. you know what I mean because obviously in when I was working in my previous career I was surrounded by young people who were taking drugs and smoking cannabis but smoking cannabis like you would smoke benson and hedges mm. and it does it makes them paranoid anyway yeah and I think a lot of you know mental health issues are connected with with taking drugs and I think a lot of mental health leads to taking of drugs but I think taking of drugs leads to poor mental health as well and you've got to have that conversation with them like don't take drugs or I'll chop your hand off basically you know and I think that was probably the one thing that I was really really strict about do not be taking drugs in my anywhere just don't do it like I just I have to have this in in my opinion as a parent my my first role is to keep my children safe Mm-hmm. that's primary primarily what I'm there for and and I know that as teenagers that kids make decisions that I won't always agree with they will yeah. make choices that I don't agree with but I always said to my kids if you're in a situation I don't care where you are I don't care what time of the day and night it is if you're in a situation that is uncomfortable if you're in a situation where you're in fear even if you know that I would have explicitly said that you shouldn't be at that party or wherever it is. I don't care where you are. If you feel at risk, you ring me and I will come and pick you up and I will not ask any questions because my job is to keep you safe, regardless of what you're doing and regardless of the choices that you make, because I'm bound to disagree with some of the choices that you make as a teenager, Mm -hmm. but I will not ask you any questions. And I never actually had to do that. So with with that, did you start saying that when they were teenagers before or how did you how did you go about that? when it got to the point where they were going out with their mates and they weren't supervised by a parent? Right. Because obviously when you go to a play area, when they're little, there's always, you know, or you, there's always you there. And it got it gets to the point where you're dropping them off and you're leaving them. Mm. And there's not another parent, whether it's in the park, whether it's got the going to cinema with their mates or whatever yeah where they're not in your control anymore yeah and I think that probably happens around what like 13 14 yeah where you yeah, can say yeah you can, you can go and do your thing um and I think it was that it would been around then when they were out on their own and they didn't have a parent watching over them all of the time yeah but the did you thing, did you ever have that as a as a kid no and the reason I do that is because I got into a situation I couldn't get out of when I was 16. 
Right. But I couldn't ring my parents because I would have been in trouble. Yeah. So I was in a dangerous situation. And I, my parenting probably is off the back of my parenting. Mm. I think so many people's are. I mean, we can't escape it, can we? Sometimes it's in terms of repeating what has gone before, even subconsciously. And other times it's like the opposite, isn't it? It's like, I absolutely don't want that. So therefore I'm going to do this. Like, I really want my children to feel safe. Like I was a teenager in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And when AIDS was discovered, HIV and AIDS, Mm -hmm. And at the time, there was a massive campaign on TV, and it was and it was literally. I can remember one of the one of the adverts was uh, a gravestone, and it was like falling over. And basically, what they were telling the world was, if you do this and you get this, you will die. And I'm like 16, 15, 16 year old. And honestly, it was quite. I mean, it was at the time. The worst thing that could happen to a girl was she could get pregnant. It was the 80s. It still wasn't okay to have a baby out of outside of marriage. It's, mm. Obviously, it's happened. It's happened for millennia, and everybody's done that. Yeah. But it was a thing, and it was like then suddenly there was AIDS, and then suddenly everybody was like the, the backlash on the on the gay community was horrific. Yeah. Basically, in order not to get AIDS, because AIDS is a, HIV is a very weak illness. It, it it can't survive if if you drop it on a table, it's going to die. Do you know what I mean? It it mm. can't survive. So if you put a condom on, that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. And that's all the conversation you need to have with kids. Obviously, you talk about sex and intimacy and what's okay and what's not okay. Yeah, relationships and such. What what I I did not want my children to die of not knowing stuff. Die of ignorance, yeah. That's... Yeah, that, and and then it's at your on your head, isn't it? As well. Yeah, if, so if I if Very. something happens to my child, and if I had the information that would prevent that damage happening to my child, I couldn't live with myself. So I just have my, my my decision was just be open and honest to the best of their capabilities at the age group that they are at the time you're having the conversation. Mm. Yeah, and I think they're okay. I think I think they're okay. They're still alive. I mean. <laughs> my youngest my youngest turns 18 in November that's him that's like three adults I've gotten three to adulthood um so that's quite that's impressive, impressive. And, really, like, that is- oh. <laughs> and you still got two years left to do in college and I'll be like oh, okay when I go <laughs> I'm gonna leave you and go to Spain and live but I have been a parent for a very long time but I do think the conversations need to be open and a lot of people don't don't do that and the conversations I've been having lately, obviously, it's about intimate partner abuse. That's what I work with at the minute. And I'm saying to people, you know, because they say, oh, I'm, I'm embarrassed. I don't talk to my children about intimate relationships. And I'm like, well, OK, um, just be embarrassed. Just have yes. the conversation. And which just is worse. Be embarrassed. Yeah, which is worse, then, being embarrassed or your child getting in trouble. Yeah, exactly. It's like your basic comfort zone, isn't it? Mm-hmm. There's nothing more uncomfortable than a comfort zone because it's just not a good place to be. But if you can push yourself out of your comfort zone and a bit of stretch, you can you can tell your kids stuff. I mean, you're a teenager. If you've never had that conversation with a 15-year-old lad, they're going to go, oh, that's awful. Don't talk to me about that. And you're going to say, I'm a parent. It's my responsibility to keep you safe. And I'm going to have this conversation with you. You don't have to respond. I just needed to go into your ears. Yeah. And have and have that and be embarrassed, but get over your embarrassment for crying out loud. You give birth to them. Yeah. <laughs> How bad can it be? Really? 
you know no shame like oh my god you don't have to open your legs for that you don't have to have anybody looking up your chuffed ear going oh well do you want stitching no I don't want stitching get away from me you know like you don't have to have that you just have a conversation with the person that caused you to need the stitches and you chuff (laughs) it's not but I think parenting it can I think it can be hard especially when you go through some kind of change or if you've got a child who's got special needs like or a mental health issue and a mental health with teenage population at the minute is horrendous I mean I've got some basically my son was in jail in the house in under house arrest from being 15 to being 17 now I know for a fact that if a 15 year old Ree had been told to stay in the house all that time even for a day I would have been out the bedroom window down on the beach having a split I know that that would have been me so our teenage population have shown extreme restraint yeah. by Thank behaving you. as they have. They've been incredible. I didn't see a single person walk past my house when we were in lockdown. Not one kid, not one. And it's just amazing. And then they've got this mental health thing off the back of this, and then there's no services for them. No. It, takes, it takes a year to get, unless you go privately, it takes a year to get into camps. Yeah, shocking. And then what? Well, we I've got I've we've been going through camps and the support you can get. Not not amazing. Always. It's, discrimina- it's discriminatory because in order to get counselling, it's fifty pounds an hour. So if you need counselling once a week, two hundred pounds a month. Who's got two hundred pounds yeah. a month? extra no exactly and it's just what on earth what on earth is going on what on earth is going on and how how can we help our teenagers because people are really negative about teens I love teenagers I have I'm on to my third one I can't eat a whole (laughs) one (laughs) um but they're amazing creatures they've got so so much going on in their bodies they've got so much going on in their brains I think I'm Mm -hmm. reading a, a, a book about childhood brain development another book about childhood brain development and I just think it's absolutely fascinating. Do you know, like, for example, you know, ch- when children hurt themselves or little children fall, you get a lot of head injuries because you don't develop, your brain doesn't develop the reflex to put your hands out to stop you until mm. you're about 12. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I learned that, that in my previous career because we did get, obviously, it would be like, there's a child here with an unexplained injury and it would usually be on the head. And it's like the doctor said, it's a brain development. So when your kid falls yeah. down when they're little, they're going to hurt themselves because they haven't, that doesn't exist. Gosh. So as adults, we'll say to a 10-year-old, why didn't you put your hands out? And the 10-year-old's looking at you like, what? <laughs> and they don't know that. They can't actually, they can't know it. It's not there yet. And it's stuff like that that just absolutely fascinates me. But stuff about, like, for example, um, toilet training kids. I didn't Mm -hmm. do that, you know. I didn't didn't toilet train my children at all. I thought, right, what age can they get to where they definitely know what they're doing? So you, like, Mm -hmm. watch them, don't you? And they go go in the corner or something, around the corner when they want to poo, and they know that they're doing it. They know they're doing it. You can tell by what they're doing that they know that they're doing it. 
So at which point I would go to Sainsbury's with them and say, look, there's a five pound note. And this is really bad, right? <laughs> really bad. I've only got one five pound note. So do I buy nappies or do I buy sweeties? It took a day, one day. That's it. Wow. Nappy off. Have some sweeties. Obviously not five pounds worth, but probably now. And we're talking like 20 <laughs> odd years ago when, you know, like when the others were like, so like 25 years ago for my eldest but they were they were all just three around about their third birthday and I was like because I'm not gonna I was working single mum working full-time had a home-based business as well because you know where I live is quite expensive and I I, I don't want to say no to my kids because I've got no money Mm -hmm. so I had a home-based business and it was like I don't want to be chasing around with loads of different changes of clothes because oh my kids potty trained but they're not really you're just running around behind them with a potty um, and sticking them on the t- on the potty every thirty minutes I wasn't going to do none of that so it was like there's a fiver what do you want to spend it on and it worked I didn't Anything stress about it I didn't have time to stress about stuff like that that's like. I yeah. didn't have time to worry about it. If they go to school and they've got a nappy on, then take them to the doctor. But you know, as long as they, as long as they're clean by the time they get to school, and as long as they can say please and thank you when they're in nursery, I like, say bomb proof. That's like brilliant, isn't yeah. it? That's all you need. Because it is, it is about priorities. So sometimes people do stress about all sorts of little things about the child's development, and sometimes, like literally, you're worried about survival and when whether you can pay for and your meals next week yeah. and in those circumstances you're not going to be stressing about the toilet training at that point no. yeah you are going to be foregoing the nappies and going no you need to stop that <laughs> yeah exactly don't stress. and I mm. think especially if you have a stressed out parent you have a stressed out because that translates onto the child yeah and, and I was very aware of that and I we had a very calm we would I would come home on a Friday and um, my eldest son would pour me a glass of wine at six o'clock and say, it's wine o'clock, mummy, <laughs> get a glass of wine. And then we would have, um, this is before TVs. Now we've got a blockbusters, which you, you could buy mm-hmm. um, DVDs. And on a Friday, I would get them some sweeties and a bottle of um, Pepsi because mm-hmm. there weren't Pepsi's like, oh, how can anybody drink that stuff? But I would allow them a bottle of Pepsi on a Friday. Yeah. Um, and, and Friday was kind of sacred. Like mm-hmm. It was sacred because I worked all week and they would then ha- they would have to go to after school club. And then, and every, you know, every week and then Friday would be like, this is our time. And yeah. then w- when we discovered YouTube videos, we would just go on and, and sit around the table, have dinner, and then we would put funny YouTube videos on and just all sit and just laugh mm. all Friday and just no stress. But there was nobody else allowed in. It was just the, the four of us, like the mm. gang. And I never went out on a Friday night. I never wanted to go out because I could, even now, I would rather sit and have a meal with my three children. And, you know, they'll have that thing. It's like, if you could choose six people who you could have dinner with, who would you choose? Mm-hmm. Um, my first three would be my three kids because they're hilarious oh really that's so funny. lovely and they get I haven't on, reached like, that stage yet <laughs> they get I on, haven't like, reached they, that stage meal times get on are so really well. difficult for us they get on I mean but I think because I was working I couldn't if if did I have any picky I didn't have any picky eaters they all slept as well right very fortunate they did mm. Um, obviously having a toddler well, Ross was 
I didn't realize, right? Because with your first kid, you don't really know this, right? But my son was speaking like we are talking now mm -hmm. when he was 21 months old. Wow. But at the time, I didn't realize that that was really good <laughs> yes <laughs> because yes. I didn't I didn't know but when I when I think back it was like years later I'm telling telling stories about when they were little and I said and Ross said this and, da, 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 and they said but he was only little and I said yeah but he said and this is what he said da, 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 da. And I went, how could he do that when he was like 21 months old and I was like but he's a talker. That's what he does. He talks mm -hmm. a lot and he's 28 now and he's still the same. Like, <laughs> but he could, I, I, and I think I just had to be, it just had to be the way it was because I had to get my sleep. Yeah. And so they had to, I, even now, my daughter said, because she was, um, her degree was in psychology. And she said to me, you actually trained me to go to sleep. And I said, what did I do? And she said, like, right from the beginning, and because I, I did this with all three of them, I said, close your eyes. Mm -hmm. And they obviously, because they're tiny, and then they learn, and they close eyes. So she can literally just close her eyes and go to sleep. <laughs> wow, can I have you? <laughs> I was like, I wish I could do that. <laughs> I know. But I did, and I used to do that. And then, and then I tested it out, right? So when my, my youngest wasn't looking, wasn't, we weren't having, I said, I just said to him, close your eyes. And he did. <laughs> you got, just, must have that really cool. lovely hypno, hypnotic voice that gets you. Into I just, that, I just needed know. them to get some sleep so I could get some sleep to, to live my yeah. crazy life, to make sure they were safe, to make sure they were fed, to make sure they were doing the things that I wanted them to do. So I think I was, when I speak to other people, I think I've just been massively fortunate and I've got three really lovely, easygoing, clever, very clever children. And I've mm -hmm. been blessed by that, but it hasn't all been plain sailing. I was like, I was on my own for 10 years. I've been, I'm married now, but I've only been married for six years. Got married when I was 50, got married. I retired, got married. No. Yeah. I got married, retired, and had my 50th birthday all in the same month. <laughs> <laughs> that was a month. <laughs> Talk about stress. <laughs> it's, like, yeah, it's fine. You know, what, what can, what's so bad? You know, what can be so bad? But yeah. I, do, I do feel for people who, whose children don't sleep. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine. I think probably when, when they were, the eldest two were very small, mm -hmm. um, I was kind of in like a zombie state, maybe like it's kind of all like blurry in my memory mm. because you've got a tiny person. I remember he, he would I'm like, what do I do with a 21 month old while I'm breastfeeding this tiny baby? Yes. yes. And I, this is funny, actually. I, I was like, what do you do? So I put, you know, in, you know, the films with Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones. Films. Yes. I put that on the team. It was a video. That's how long ago on the video and I put that on and my son sat beside me while I was feeding the baby and he watched the entire movie at 21 months he watched the it's got to be what like two hours long or something oh my god and then he was like he wanted it on a loop he just wanted it <laughs> he just wanted it on all over and over again 
And then that interest evolved so that he was into ancient history, the Greeks, oh. the Romans. He ended up doing archaeology at university. Oh, my goodness. So that's so funny. It's interesting because so many people would, like, shy away or think it's bad for kids to watch things over and over and particularly just watching, he watching just things. It. He just wanted it. He, he just wanted to watch. If, if the TV was on, he wanted to watch Indiana Jones. Yeah. And it's like, and then he ends up doing archaeology and you think, hmm, yeah, I could have predicted that. <laughs> That's so I did actually. So cool. I was like, he's going to be an archaeologist. He's going to do something. Yeah. Like digging up shit. <laughs> and there he is. And he did. Yeah. Digging up shit. Yeah. Digging up shit. Dead shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny what they, the little quirks that they have when they're little, it kind of does give you a bit of an insight into where they're going to go. Mm-hmm. as they get older my daughter's done her psychology she's, she's like super academic intelligent um and now she works with people um looking at pain mm-hmm. so um and I could have told you that that she she would do something people related because she was always at school she was always because she's super intelligent she would finish her work and then she would go and help other people mm. And even in her school reports, it says all the, all the way through, Ellie helps other people. Ellie helps other people. Mm-hmm. And that's what she does now uh, for, for her career. She helps other people. So it's kind of like you can see things when they're little. Yeah. And you go, ah, that's a thing for you. That's your thing. Yeah, it's interesting hearing that because a lot of people who are listening will be at that stage where they are the little ones running about and, and you can have a little peek into what like they might be like. Do interesting things and spark their interest and you can see what sparks their interest and then you, mm. can, you can, you know, encourage that. I mean, my youngest is football crazy. He wants to go into journalism, sports journalism. Yeah. Of course I'm going. He literally travels more than I do. <laughs> He's going um, to Portugal next month for some football championship thing but he literally he does all the away games and wow he's on the, he he can just jump on the train go to king's cross jump on the tube go to a football stadium somewhere in london and then come back and just do it in reverse and the reason for that is because they went into lockdown i think a lot of their 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 space was kind of closed down Yes, all the things, all that development from, and it's very important at the age of 15 to have that social development. Mm -hmm. And that was stopped. Yes. And when we came out the lockdown after another one, after another one, because we actually, as a family, went into lockdown before the country went into lockdown, because I saw something on the television and I just said, right, that's it. We're in lockdown. (laughs) That's it. Um, because, um, the prime minister said something about herd immunity, and I was like, "Oh, um, we're in lockdown." Mm-hmm. So I think we went into lockdown about four days before everybody else did. It's like you're not going to school, you're not going to work. Yeah. Um, but because he's the, the teenagers have been, they've, they've missed that portion of their development and their mm. growth by being kept away from each other. And I think it's really important that he's allowed to go and, and do the things that he wants to do because he's had two years of not being able to do anything. So Re, thinking about that in terms of what you now do um, and what your work is in terms of supporting 
um, hit people understanding red flags and things, having that break from real understanding of social communication it's likely to have impacted people's abilities and radars around around that do you want to talk us a bit through i think a bit about that the big scary thing because my work is on um it's, it's about intimate partner abuse and it's about recognizing the under the radar behaviors that are a precursor to domestic violence right because you don't get into a relationship that then becomes abusive although you think you have, what mm -hmm. you've done is you've got into a relationship with somebody who's going to abuse you. And in my experience, that actually happens right at the beginning, but it's very much under the radar. It's very subtle. Abusers are very subtle. And what they do is they'll mm -hmm. try something and see what your boundary is. Mm -hmm. And they'll push that boundary. And if you are not sure, or if you don't recognize that as an abusive behavior, you let them get away with it mm. and you don't challenge it because for example, I'll give you, for example, you're 15 year old, you girl, you go to the cinema with your mates, you okay. come out of the cinema and your new boyfriend's there and your boyfriend says, I'm going to walk you home. I want to keep you safe. So teenage girls like, Oh, isn't that so sweet? Mm -hmm. Oh, what a gentleman. How, uh -huh. how, how lovely. Now, it That's may be really that he's a gentleman, he's lovely, but why did he not message you first to say that he was going to do it? Mm. Because in this, in this world of mass communication, and that's how they've communicated by, during the lockdown, yeah. they've done it with their thumbs. Yep. Um, so this, this maybe 16-year-old lad turns up, now, is he actually there to keep you safe? Secondly, who's he keeping you safe from? He's keeping you safe from abusive men, isn't he? men who might harm you mm. because it's mostly men who do the harming and they they harm men women and children it's mostly men so they, he's keeping you safe from somebody who is in his actual group <laughs> you mm -hmm. know what I mean but also is he like really or is he just making sure that you're with your girlfriends and not with somebody else mm. and that's the conversation that you need to have with your kid yeah. Because it may be that he's a gentleman. It's maybe that he maybe his phone had died and he couldn't message you, but he thought it would be nice to turn up to make sure that you were safe. First of all, mm. you're only going to be in danger from people who are in his subcategory of creature anyway. The heterosexual yeah. white male is the most dangerous creature on the planet. But um mm -hmm. and they're frightened of wasps, just amazing. Um and that's that's what you <laughs> I'll tell you this story, okay? I was in Crete with my son in, at the end, back end of March. We went for a week. And there was a, a lovely couple sat by the pool. And they jumped up and there was a, there's a wasp, there's a wasp, right? And I said, well, don't kill the wasp. Mm -hmm. This guy is a heterosexual white guy jumping around trying to kill a wasp. The most dangerous creature on the planet, statistically. Yeah, cisgenders. Yes, is trying to kill a wasp. <laughs> and I said... Don't kill a wasp because if you kill a wasp, it oozes a pheromone that attracts its friends and its friends will come, its waspy friends will come and try and protect it. And so yeah. you get more wasps. And he went, oh, I didn't know that. And I thought, well, no, because you're a heterosexual white man and you don't need to know that because you're at the top of the food chain. <laughs> this is my brain, right? And then and then he sat down and, the, and I put, I think that she had some, white it was like maybe sprite or something 
a sugary drink. So I went and put the sugary drink somewhere else. So the wasp went to the sugary drink because that's what the wasp was after. Yeah. It's not after you. Unless you're wearing floral swimming trunks, they don't come, do they? So anyway, and anyway, the wasp, and, and I just looked at it and it wasn't even a wasp, it was a honeybee. And that kind of was like, that kind of epitomized that for me, like the most dangerous creature on the planet was going to kill something and he didn't even actually know what it was. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's a bit sad. But that's how my brain works. It's like goes mm-hmm. off on little things. And what was I talking about? We, uh, well, I was asking you to tell us some, well, you were giving Oh, the red flags. Yeah, so the, the red, red flags. flags, like the red flags also something for something because I go to a community college where for young mothers and they, these girls are like 15 between 15 and 21 and they have a baby already or they have maybe two already and we were talking about if if things happened what what would you do so if a, if your boyfriend cracks a joke about you so makes a joke at your expense mm. And he's like, but you're not laughing. It makes you feel uncomfortable. What do you do? Because if somebody cracks a joke at your expense and you're not laughing, it's not a joke. One of the girls there said, oh, my my partner says that to me. Said, yeah, but does it in a jokey way? So but does it in a jokey way? She's so not allowed she's, to take offence. That's right. She's not mm. allowed. And that's a really good word. She's mm. not allowed to take, to take offence. Mm. So if she says anything back, he then turns around and says, you've got no sense of humour. So it's a, yeah. it's a lose-lose for her. Yeah. It's a red flag. Mm-hmm. So what you say to somebody who cracks a joke at your expense is, that's not funny. Can you explain to me why you think that's funny? And they won't be able to. But if they say, you've got no sense of humour, you just say, well, no, you're not a comedy act because that's not funny. And it's about standing your ground and putting your, mm-hmm. your boundaries in. Now, I think it's very hard to be a, t- a teenage boy because... Teenage boys are taught to keep trying, keep trying. You know, if at first mm-hmm. you don't succeed, try, try, try again. Yes. And if you watch TV, it's always like the girl says no, the boy says, oh, please. The girl says no. And he keeps going. He keeps yeah. going. And in the end, they she win gives out. In. She they gives win in. out. Like you think of like how, how I met my mother. That was that your mother. That That is the whole premise is all on is all on that and in friends it was all on that yeah all of that all like, of and that keep, keep trying keep trying now try 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 again might be all right for the king of scotland but if you're asking somebody to go out with you and they say no just shut up and go away find somebody else there are billions of us mm-hmm. billions of us you know and if you want to have sex with somebody don't keep pestering them for sex but we, we teach our boys to do that I, every time they switch the telly on you know, it's constant, relentless. Keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. It's okay if you're going for a job or if you're, tra- if you're passing your driving test, but not if it's a relationship. If somebody doesn't want to know you, then just leave them alone. But we teach our kids this. We need to stop doing that. And then we complain about them when they do it. When so what, what is it that, I mean, it seems like the wrong thing to do to arm our girls, our women with the tools to deal with it because really we should be arming our boys with the understanding of what Absolutely. it is yeah I had a meeting with but my it's MP. so hard I had a meeting with my MP the other week because we're setting up a women are safe here project businesses and it'll be nationwide but the whole premise is if 
I'm going off on a tangent again. Sorry, Beth. I the, do it all the time. The, the, issue, <laughs> the issue is not violence against women and girls. It's not about keeping the streets safe. Let's not beat about the bush. The women is, the, 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 the fact of the matter is, it is men. It's mostly men who murder and they murder women, men and children. Yeah. It is mostly men who assault women, men and children. And it's only men who rape. And that's what we need to be talking about. We need to be talking about men's behavior. And right. we have male allies who are obviously horrified by what other men do. And we are bringing them on board to discuss this. It's not about violence against women and girls. It's about mm. men who are violent. Right. And the, the dialogue needs to change because totally. in the media, the way that everything is reported is backwards. It's totally. violence against women. How many? It's a woman. They, they say was... a woman, you know, they, they always, do you know what really winds me up? They, when a woman is murdered, they name, they talk about the murderer. They give the murderer a voice by naming him. Mm. And I, I, if you went in the street and did a survey and said, who murdered such and such, who murdered such and such, they'd know the answer, but they probably wouldn't know who the victim was. No. No, who did such and such murder? I don't know. Who, you, you've heard of such and such, that person's a murderer. Who did they murder? I've heard of them, but I don't know who they murdered. I don't know the name of that victim. Mm-hmm. And they they say so many women have been raped, but what they should say is so many men have raped. And it was yes. it's a smaller, smaller number because they multiple abuse. They, of course. Uh, they multiple perpetrate. Yeah. That's what we should be talking about. Absolutely. It needs that, that dialogue totally needs to shift and change. And then um, what do you think, how do you think that's going to happen? Well, I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. So is that okay? <laughs> the problem we have at the minute is, as a, as, a, as a country, we are, we are led by a misogynistic, narcissistic wife beater. <laughs> um, so it's really difficult. And I can say that because mm. it's true. So put that out there. In my opinion, that's what the problem is. But uh, there's always been a problem. Yeah, and it didn't and just I've, I've been looking at it. I've been looking at it from many different angles. And if you, if you look at domestic abuse as a as a subject not a lot of it is criminal a lot, a lot of it is under the radar abuse the stuff that you don't get arrested for so the the, the yeah. financial abuse the emotional abuse the psychological abuse all of that goes on day in day out relentlessly you don't get locked up for that it's not a thing it's not it doesn't have a a status although they have to they, the rules have changed the laws have changed slightly in what is in 2015 I know this because um, my ex-partner would I could have got him arrested for his behavior prior to 2015 but he changed his behavior after the fact after the law came in so I can't get him arrested what can I ask you, what was the behaviour? Was he stalking you? Well, coer- no, coercive control. Co- yeah, coercive control is, an, an, is yeah. a criminal offence now. Yeah. yeah, but it's really difficult to prove. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I can, I can imagine. I, obviously, I never tried because it was literally, I would have been backdating. Couldn't, couldn't yeah, and of course, going into the court system, going into the criminal justice system, it's an adversarial system, which abusers mm. love that. That's their stage. They yeah. love that kind of thing. Right. For, for a victim, you're just re-traumatizing trauma on top of trauma on top of trauma. Um, and we don't have a system that doesn't further perpetrate abuse in itself. 
Exactly. Of all sorts of abuse, not just mm-hmm. in that those terms. Yeah. All sorts. So we need to look at that. We need to look at what the priorities are. And women are not a priority for any government. And of course, no. every government only has a five-year plan. And a five-year plan's no good for anything. You need a hundred-year plan. Well, this is, this, I come back to this so many times whenever I'm thinking about anything to do with the government. They're so myopic, right? So short-sighted. They're totally. always just thinking about getting their votes and yeah, it's the not cycle. Even governing. They're not even governing. They're just thinking about the next general election because mm-hmm. it's literally around the corner. Like five years is nothing. No, and it can't create lasting change. And that's all they do. But we're not, women are not a priority. Children, and of course, um, vulnerable people and children are the most vulnerable people mm-hmm. on the planet and the first thing that happens when you have government cuts is it hits vulnerable first of course because we're easy prey because we don't fight back and we don't give them any money exactly and that's the next thing if you look at the gross domestic product and where that comes from the majority of that money is produced by men because women commit career suicide when they have the children. And mm-hmm. a lot of us go part-time. I did. I did. I, I did. left, I, as I told you, I left, I left my job entirely. The women commit career suicide when they have their kids, a lot of them. And that's the problem. We're not contributing in a financial way. And it's money who, that talks. Mm-hmm. So is. I think when I'm in charge of the planet, things would be different. And that's not yeah. going to happen. I think a lot, of, a lot of the conversations that need to be had at government level need to be about what the real problem is. Now, this country, domestic abuse, reported domestic abuse, and probably 99% of it isn't reported. Yeah. Demo- d- reported domestic abuse costs England and Wales £66 billion a year. Wow. Now, if you took out the cause of it, which is abusive men... For most of it, I mean, I know women do abuse and I know men are victims, but I'm talking about majority here. Yeah. The majority are male on female abuse. If you focused on that for purposes of education, you could cut that 66 billion by quite a lot. So it's right back at the at this stage when everyone's working on their parenting on their children that's where we need to work in a longer term basis yeah. on their if education you're, if you're a woman and your male partner talks to you in an abusive way and i can you can see this like remember when you go to the school gates and the kids are all pain and the way a child speaks to their mother is indicative of what's going on in that house mm-hmm. so if you're in an abusive relationship and your partner speaks to you in a negative way and your children are there and they see and hear that that's what you're gonna produce because if that person who is supposed to love you the the best thing a man can do for his kids is love his wife because that's a positive thing to give to teach the children about that relationship if a, a father loves the mother that is brilliant for children but another thing that we need to learn is that if you stay in an abusive relationship that damages your kids the best thing, and again, my pro- priority for my children is their care and their safety. My priority would always be to leave that marriage. Mm-hmm. 
it's so interesting because so we we were taught for, by society that actually no you have to stay with your yeah. with the parent yeah. for the sake of the children but it, the it's not a, true, it's really. actually not because they had this thing about it's a broken home I don't want my kids to come from a broken home yes. your home is if you are in an abusive relationship that's broken that's broken yeah so what you need to do is safely get out of that relationship but the thing is with all the shit that comes after the separation as well mm-hmm. so that's why I created the book and the plan for talking to teenagers so they don't get into the relationship in yeah. the first place so they have the awareness and the self-confidence because self-confidence in teenagers is really vital so you are confident enough in your own self that somebody because there's other the, the songs you know like populist songs um you know it's always like nobody will love you as much as I do you'll never find as long as you live somebody cares for you as much as I do um all of that you you know uh, nobody loves you more all this these songs about and, and teenagers are like well you know if I don't have him then I'll have nobody mm. because that's what we've taught them through popular culture and that's the narrative that he's giving yeah. her well you know if you had you know if your hair was longer if your hair was blonder if you had bigger boobs if you had this if you weren't that if you didn't say that I wouldn't do that and it's like constant if you were taller if you were thinner mm-hmm. if you were you know I like I like skinny girls do 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 and it's that constantly. And if you have confidence as a teenager, and this is what we have to give our kids, we have to mm. give them that. Instead of knocking them down, build them up. A 15-year-old, somebody cracks a joke at her expense and she tells them to fuck off. Yeah. Deeply. Having, having that confidence to be able to do that. And that comes from all that time that we spend when they're little and developing them feeling heard them and them respected. Up in my family there's no such thing as can't I can't no you'll try and actually my son it's do or do not mum there is no try Yoda <laughs> do or do not that's basically the attitude of them it's like they will do they will be and they will have whatever they want because that's how I brought them up mm. and you've got to build your kids build your confidence oh it's going to be so hard yes it's hard but you're going to do it and the more you do it the more practice the more practice, the better you get, the better you get. It's hard at first. You'll keep falling off the skateboard, but keep practicing, keep going. You know, the piano, yeah. it's hard to play a piano. God, but she's brilliant at it. My younger son's a brilliant pianist, but he won't do it. It's like, <laughs> I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. But he's brilliant. It's just keep going. I mean, keep not pushing. Yeah. I don't know if push is the right word. Encouragement is really vital. Yeah. And yeah, I, I've, I've them always up. said to them, I've always said to them, you know, I want you to, because you don't want them to leave home, but at the same time, you want them to have adventures and experience. Mm -hmm. And my son, my eldest son went to Australia for a while, like two and a half years. He lived in Australia and that was agony. I bet. Agony. I can't imagine what it was like before WhatsApp. I know. I mean, I've been, I've been under the, on WhatsApp, I've been on the ferry underneath the Sydney Harbour Bridge like first thing in the morning it's evening in in Sydney and he'd ring me and say we're going on we're going on the ferry mum are you ready and I'd be sitting in bed at six o'clock in the morning and he'd be on the the ferry I can't imagine what it would be like but that's his adventure that's and he'll go back he only came back because of the visa thing and COVID but Mm. so getting them to go and spread their wings and have a fantastic life and that's what Mm. that's what it's for and it starts when they're tiny when they're tiny we build them up so they can let go yeah so that they that they feel that, yeah, they'll be completely supported in the choices that they make. 
So they're, they're like, we're, we're being like a supporting around them. We take the supports away, but they're so steady in that yeah. space. Yeah, yeah. After we but you're still there speed. in case they fall off yeah. again. Like when they're learning to ride a bike, yeah. you still run alongside the bike. Yeah. <laughs> Even though they're pedaling away, yeah. you still run alongside it. Yeah. yeah. It's that kind of thing. That's a really good metaphor. So Re, we, we, I'm sure we could pretty much chat for about 10 hours about <laughs> this, but... Unfortunately, we have to go. But before we do, I want to ask you a few quick fire questions. Okay. okay? So are you ready? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. So what, um, what is the best thing? Oh, no, we'll start the other way around. What is the worst thing about being a parent? Oh, ice cream. Ice cream. You know, when ice cream, and you get an ice cream cone and it, and it melts and you, yeah. you have to lick around. Yeah. Oh, That's the worst thing about being a parent. Anything, anything else I could cope with. <laughs> oh, that's that makes me feel sick. Oh, and milky bars, milky, you know, white chocolate. Oh, <laughs> horrible food, kids' food in the hair, you know. Okay, I, don't, so, I, I don't think anything's yes. really phased me, actually. I've been very, like I said, I've been very fortunate. Like the worst thing, that, that is the worst thing. Okay, is the icky yuck, yucky oh, bits. Mm. So, what's the best thing about being a parent? Um, when, when they, the, the, when you can have a conversation with other adults and your kids part of the conversation and they're mm-hmm. holding their own in the conversation I love that yeah um, I love yeah. spending time with them I even when they were tiny we I think we, and that comes with being open and honest to the best mm-hmm. of their understanding of that that age I just love spending time with my kids they're so funny it's like being in a comedy sketch when they're all home <laughs> it is honestly we were like I was my son was up because he's in Worcester at the minute and he was up a couple of weeks ago because his mates uh well he's a rock star basically and he was doing a gig so he, he came up and he said mum the only time I really belly laugh is when I'm here oh so he's actually thinking about moving back up he's like you know I can laugh all day that's something I can do I'll do that oh that's awesome yeah, so okay parenting did it break you down build you up or a bit of both which equal measure I think it built me up actually because I feel I think I'm a good mum my kids tell me I'm a good mum and I then I say to them would you tell me the truth if I wasn't and they say yes we would tell you and I go really and they go yeah (laughs) but I think it kind of made me who I am like because everything Mm -hmm. I do I've got I take that into consideration because once you've got little people you've got them like they don't go away when they turn 18 they don't go away when Mm. they go to uni they just keep coming home and then I mean this weekend I'm spending this weekend with my daughter I've got the woman only wellness event in North Yorkshire and my daughter's going to be there so I'm going to have the weekend with her with another like a hundred odd other crazy ladies um but yeah I think it made me I think it made me awesome okay what what would you say the best thing about Re is Uh, oh gosh the best thing about me I think I'm quite wise. People tell me I'm wise because I, I don't get, I don't do hysterical or not that. I don't really like that word. I don't get stressed about stuff. Mm. I just, I'm a problem solver. Mm. And I think that's probably off the back of my training in the police, you know, because mm. whatever you say about the police, it is a bloody hard job. And I know yeah. it's not great at the minute with things going on, but I think I'm, I'm a problem solver by nature. Right. So it's like, come to me if you've got something and we'll talk it through and we'll be calm. Do you know what I mean? So I'm quite calming. Oh, that's so lovely. A bit woo-woo. And 
No, and, it, and it's good that you can recognize it in yourself. That's why I got that question in there, because I like people to recognize the good stuff in themselves. Um, and lastly, on the quick fire, um, what do you think the most important thing about being a parent is? Or the most important job of a parent? Keeping them safe. And, and like knowledge like educate your kids there's more to education than going to school mm. um, and also acknowledge that we didn't talk about that because mainstream school can be very stressful for some kids mm-hmm. I found it very stressful mm-hmm. um, I didn't like it but being open with your kids is really important and and keeping them busy like even a little I used to I'm a horrible person oh my god I used to get them if the weather was bad you know I always think you've got to be outside I'm a very outsidey kind of person um, so we would like go for a run or whatever and then if it was terrible weather I would make them I would time them I would get a timer and I'd make them run up and down the stairs and get <laughs> like time like what's your personal best you know the little little legs up and down the stairs oh no you have to go faster and they'd be knackered on a night time and then I could sit down and relax <laughs> <laughs> I love it <laughs> just, you've got to you've got to get that energy that mm. little kids who are like like five and six year olds are like just fizzing aren't they they just like they vibrate with this energy and it's like wow that's fantastic like their little brains are going it's like amazing they're great when they're that age that's awesome thank you for those now before we go you have obviously mentioned your book briefly but if you want to plug anything else um and talk about um anything else now would be a great time okay so my books be kind no excuses my website is reedpearson.com like that but without the gap um we do have a couple of projects going i've got the women only wellness on the 11th of june which is in near north allerton but um that's going to be an event an annual event and that's to raise funds for track uk which is a drug and alcohol recovery service just for women based in middlesbrough they are amazing um that's it really just anything you need to know will be on repearson.com but thank you Beth. perfect oh it's been so wonderful chatting with you i knew thank that you. we'd go all over the place with I this know. conversation i know but there's so much there's so much to do i was like am i ever going to be allowed to die my to-do list written on toilet paper that's long. <laughs> oh it's so wonderful i wish you an amazing time this weekend um with your wellness weekend it sounds incredible and hopefully next year i'll get to come along yeah it would be amazing thank you beth oh thank you so much thank you so much for listening to today's podcast with me beth hardy and if you want to connect with me more you can get along to any of my socials your family well-being coach on tiktok and instagram and you can find me at stop the triggers on facebook i hope to connect with you very soon if you have a question that you want answering we might be able to do a podcast all about that so please do drop me a line so grateful for everyone who listens to this podcast see if you can rate and subscribe so we can make it bigger and better every week